0: Coming to you from Brick House in downtown Brooklyn, this is 112BK. On the show today, legalizing marijuana. It's complicated, and we'll get into the weed with the folks from Cannabis Wire. My true colors will tell us about their upcoming Pride Awards and a new city program that will train and employ apprentices. We are four months into 2018, but much like Neon Colors, Crunchies, and that Roseanne reboot, the culture wars of that bygone era seem to be very present. For those of us born post-Reagan, the culture wars were a polarizing realignment of American politics and culture. Us versus them on abortion, gun control, nuclear weapons, homosexuality, states' rights versus the federal government. The battles of the war played out in courtrooms and cable news shows, but to the best of my knowledge, never in the post office. Until now. In 2018, when U.S. Congressman Dan Donovan, who represents New York's 11th District, which includes parts of South Brooklyn and Staten Island, intends to introduce legislation to reverse the Hatch Act of 1939. What's that, you ask? Well... It's a little-known policy that prohibits the display of pictures of any president, incumbent or former, in postal lobbies. Little known, at least to the Trump supporter and Donovan constituent, who called up to say, hey, I'm down here at the post office, and they still got pictures of Obama and Biden, but not the president. Well, the same situation unfolded in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, where Hillary beat Trump 8,911 to 3,632, and pics of Obama, Biden, Bush, and Dick Cheney still line the walls of the post office. But no Trump Pence. Maybe people just don't want to look at him, or maybe the pics got lost in the mail. But don't we all wish we had representatives as responsive as Dan Donovan? Now about that DACA and gun control. But first, these things. Once again, police have reacted to a man holding something they think is a gun, and open fire, with fatal consequences. Last month, it was Stephen Clark in Sacramento holding a cell phone. Last night in Crown Heights, it was a 34-year-old African-American man named Saheed Vassal. After the police received three phone calls about a man pointing a gun at people on the street, four officers confronted him. As a police official put it, Vassal was killed when he, quote, took a two-handed shooting stance and pointed an object at the approaching officers. The object, it turns out, was a metal pipe with a knob in it. The shooting was immediately controversial because Vassal was well known to neighbors and police as having had bipolar disorder. New York Attorney General Eric Schneiderman has announced he will open an investigation. Now, as we mentioned in a moment, we'll be talking to two journalists about covering the changing landscape of marijuana legalization. So we thought this item reported by Patch.com was a good gateway headline to a discussion. New Yorkers, you can feel proud or not that according to a study by a cannabis industry business called CEDO, yep, CEDO, we spoke more pot than any other city in the world. This is based on total consumption, not per head, so to speak. New York City leads the way with more than 77 metric tons consumed in the past year. Among U.S. metropolises, that's more than twice as much as second-place L.A. with 36 metric tons. Sure, we have more than twice as many people, but if you add up the consumption of the top five major American cities where the sale of weed is legal, which it isn't here, remember, our total is still, well, higher. Our first conversation coming right up. In more than half the country, medical marijuana is now legal. In nine states and the District of Columbia, non-medical sales are legal. And the 10th might just be our neighbor, New Jersey. But for many reasons related to health, business, criminal justice, and the fact that legalization is still against federal law, it's an enormously complex issue, making it perfect for a new independent media outlet focused on policy and investigative coverage. It's called Cannabis Wire. It's part of the civil subscription platform, and it launches in May. I want to welcome to 112BK, Cannabis Wire's co-founder and editors, Allison Martin. Thanks for joining us.
1: It's great to be here.
0: And Nusheen Rashidian. Thanks great for having Great to have me. you here. Thank you. Well, thank you both for coming in. So we're sitting here. There's a patchwork of laws on the books right now. You guys wrote a first-of-its-kind book way back in 2014 that is so current to the situation happening now.
1: In some ways, uh, everything has changed, and in some ways, nothing has changed. You know, federal law still makes all forms of cannabis illegal. We just have more states that are sticking their necks out there and saying, Mm -hmm. you know, we want to try something new.
0: So as far as this legalization patchwork that I was just referring to, there's the 10th state, which might be Jersey, coming on board. But I know there's some stuff uh, happening in uh, Louisiana, in one of the Carolinas, there's a lot of stuff happening all over the country. Oklahoma.
2: Be, yeah, Oklahoma. I mean, I'd be surprised. I don't know that I can think of two, more than, like, a handful of states where there isn't some sort of effort right now, whether it's to decrim, whether it's for medical, whether it's to expand the medical law. Or to legalize and even, you know, not even just with their ballot or bill in, in New York, they were going to do like a legalization study committee. Right. That's a new trend that's cropping up. I think there's like a, at least three states that are like studying legalization. So this is just sort of not a matter of like whether but when it's just yeah, going to okay. be legalized pretty
0: soon. So, Allison, country. why cannabis? Why or why now?
1: Why cannabis? Why or why now? Well, I think we probably could have had it about a year ago. But you mentioned the patchwork. The patchwork creates um, dissonance. In almost every area of the cannabis industry. And those areas of dissonance, I think, are ripe for coverage. Um, So, for example, if you look at something like hospitals, you know, we have all these states with medical cannabis laws now. Um, Take, you know, if one of us became ill or our great aunt or something like that and, you know, he or she were in the hospital, they can't bring their medical cannabis because hospitals receive federal funding. There are all these areas. um, If somebody receives federal housing subsidies, Mm -hmm. medical cannabis can't go in public housing. Um, So, there are areas that are ripe for coverage, and right now we are, I would argue, at more of a tipping point than we've ever been at before. And so, we're just dedicating all of our coverage to those areas of dissonance.
2: I will add to that, Jeff Sessions has really heated things up. So, all those points of tension existed, um, but the Obama administration was slightly more hands-off. Um, and now those are exactly the, the pressure points that we anticipate Jeff Sessions will oh, yeah, will we'll, yeah, we'll engage to sort of crack down.
0: So how do you see a platform like Civil engaging all of these sort of disparate groups? And depending on which side of the uh, future and current laws that you're on, how do you see it as a platform for all of those voices? I
2: think, I think Civil's perfect for it, right? So I think that— that a site like this needs to really serve its readers. I think that if you're chasing ad dollars, you're going to find yourself inclined to do sort of product reviews or like buzzy kind of hot, uh, viral coverage. And that's not really serving anybody. I think talking about the coolest new cannabis company or the coolest new, uh, vaporizer is, is fine, but that's, but we're in a moment where public service journalism is needed and civil is not built around ads. It's built around reader revenue and it makes you accountable to those readers. So I think civil is the perfect platform for
0: our editorial mission. Yeah, there's a world where high times and civil can exist happily together. Yeah? Exactly. So speaking of the money—in unison—speaking of the money and this booming industry, of course, it's a billion-dollar industry. I know in Maryland I was recently uh, reading about how uh, there was a law from—some of the lawmakers are trying to make sure that it's a diverse sort of industry, where people of color have been disproportionately affected by marijuana laws, but now seem to be locked out from getting in on the ground floor, if we haven't already missed it, of medical and other forms of marijuana. So what other issues are coming to the floor besides these sort of things? in a serious medical med- yeah. or marijuana way.
1: I think equity yeah. programs in general are becoming more common, and I think that as states come on board with uh, new laws and you know subsequent programs, I think equity programs, meaning um, people of color and socioeconomically disadvantaged communities, have been uh, disproportionately affected by the war on drugs. Um, so I think that there's a real effort in general on— uh, making sure that people who have been negatively affected in a disproportionate way do have a chance to get involved in the industry. Um, you know, New Jersey will probably have a program along those lines if and when they pass a legalization initiative. Oakland as a city has been uh, working on this for a while as well. Um, yeah, I, I feel I, like I, I cut you off. Sorry.
2: No, no. I think I, I think that uh, the equity programs, I think they're going to have a little bit of an uphill battle. I think that there are already, which is you know, hasn't really been covered as well as it should be. Like I think laws in place that sort of disqualify out the gate people with records, been which is doing it for yeah, all time. right. Like, who's and, been
1: growing? Like who, exactly. who's been fueling the like gray market for years? Yeah, it's yeah. baked
2: in. But I think that, so. That's like one. I think that's like a, a, a key issue. But I think there are other issues like quality control that are coming up. I mean, if you can't pass down um, standards around pesticides or, like, how you can't certify cannabis plant organic. Like, you know, who's testing these products?
0: This gets to the heart of these sort of utility patents as well. That's another uh, big issue happening in the marijuana industry. So how are utility patents germane to marijuana and the industry as it's being formed?
2: Well, I want to be sure that I know what you mean by utility.
0: People are branding and, I like, like the Monsanto of weed, essentially, (laughs) if you're a company.
1: So what I'll say about that is that, like, I think that right now there's, like, a very big branding opportunity, and I think that the people that, like, want to make a lot of money as soon as possible. The faster that they can brand themselves as, like, the Starbucks of weed or the McDonald's of weed or whatever it will be, um, you know, I think that they are, like, very eager to, you know, get their names out there in those ways. Um, But I don't know. I think a lot of it's marketing.
2: Yeah, there's been a lot of Uber for cannabis sort of like XYZ sort of you know, um, and to the point where they've actually, some companies have violated trademark issues, which yeah. I think they're going to have to Gorilla think, Glue is an
1: example. Yeah, what was the product? Gorilla... I think it's Gorilla Glue, but there was a strain, I think, called Gorilla Glue and it violated really? a patent, and or uh, violated a uh, trade, trademark. trademark, sorry. And, you know, I think that, like, actually like companies are going to run into this with, like, Disney, or, like, you know, the Star oh, Wars franchise. So this is
0: one thing, but that is much less uh, severity than the federal side of the thing, yeah. because with Jeff Sessions at the helm, what do you see is coming down the pipeline for we can make all these laws and get into all the trademark issues you want, but if the feds are saying you're busted, this ain't happening?
1: There's such a big question mark around what the feds will actually do. Yeah. They
0: have a
2: lot in their toolkit, right? Yeah. So, so what's really interesting about, you know, we're talking about the book and we're actually sort of in a, in a position where the book feels very relevant because A lot of people don't realize is that there was a federal crackdown back in 2011, Mm -hmm. and then of course legalization sprung out of that. So of course I don't personally think any kind of a crackdown is going to shut the industry down. I think it'll cause a lot of chaos. It'll be very confusing for a while. But they could do. You know, I don't think you're not going to see like the DEA, you know, raiding and shutting everyone down. They might do burning
0: down your backyard plants. Right, setting
2: fire to. Yeah, yeah, not a mass scale. Might see you know here and there. But what they will probably do is put pressure on the, through the IRS, mm-hmm. um, put pressure through housing, through, like yeah, housing, through uh, banks, through shutting off access to banks, uh-huh. through um, sending sort of asset forfeiture th- letters, threatening landlords that are housing these businesses, which we saw back in 2011. Gotcha. Um, and so I think that they're probably going to be using these sort of sideways tactics um, if anything at all. So we we have to wait and see.
1: I actually wonder like you know it, it's hard to put a pin in like when a crackdown happens, yeah. right? Like it, it happens sort of slowly and then all of a sudden Yeah. And then like a a s- yeah. and, then, and but then something big happens. But like in this past week we saw um, I just wrote about in our newsletter like a few instances that I think should raise some eyebrows in the industry as far as like maybe what the feds will do or what they're doing or what they're working on. Um, Bank of Springfield has announced that they're going to shut down all of their cannabis accounts. Uh, on May 21st, which is a big deal. That's one of the bigger banks that works with the cannabis industry in Illinois. Yeah. So that that should be kind of like something that gives industry members pause.
0: So speaking of this rolling crackdown, in our last minute, can you give us any sort of forecast or what to watch for to see how the winds are blowing on this yeah, whole issue? Totally what should we be aware of as we close out our last minute? Well,
1: I would say watch the midterm elections. I yeah. think anytime the midterm or um, a presidential election comes up, it tends to be somewhat of a watershed um, time period for cannabis laws because and lots v- of
0: referendums. Right, you know,
1: voters have a chance yeah. to decide on it or not. So I would say watch the midterms and also watch where the candidates stand on cannabis. Who's coming out in favor of it? Who's coming out with a hard stance against it? Here in New York, we have a primary Nixon. heating up. Cynthia Nixon saying yeah. she's all in for cannabis legalization and she wants to tax dollars, Cuomo has not been a friend of cannabis. So I would say
2: watch the midterms for sure. All right, Machine,
0: what are we looking for?
2: I think I want to second that completely. I think that I've never seen this level of sort of support among people running for office, mm-hmm. um, vocal support, wanting to be aligned with the industry. But I think we need to watch, actually, Canada. I think that I think yeah. that with the threat of Jeff Sessions, what that's done is allowed other countries that are looking at legalization to move ahead. And so Canada, while we're sort of figuring out how to keep things moving smoothly here at home, they're basically dominating the globe with their industry. So
0: So Allison Martin and Nushin Urshidian from Cannabis Wire, thank you for joining us today.
2: Thank you for having us.
0: Thank you. (laughs) Next Thursday, April 12th in Dumbo, the organization My True Colors will hold its Excel Pride Awards Dinner. The evening is meant to pay homage to community trailblazers who champion the arts, social justice, and entertainment within the LGBTQ plus community. Right now, to talk about the event and some of the challenges and victories this particular community faces, let's meet one of the Excel Pride Awards recipients psychologist Dr. Marjorie Hill. Thanks for coming in.
3: Hi, how you doing?
0: Very well. And the person doing a lot of the the behind-the-scenes work for the My True Colors Festival, Tai Chun. Welcome to 112BK, sir. Hi, how are you? Thank you. So to say this is a labor of love is probably an understatement, (laughs) but it's completely necessary in the time and space that we're living in now. Mm -hmm. So what can we expect from the awards on the night of the 12th?
4: Well, we can expect dynamic people. This is my Shiro. I've loved her from a wee little boy, <laughs> and all the little work she does and everything. And you mm-hmm. know, Stacey and Chin and a couple of the other honorees. You know, we we made it specific to that last year. We honored the borough president mm-hmm. and Councilman Chaka and a few other people um, who who were in the political realm. And we ju- and, and it shaped the social justice, and then we have the people who fight for the social justice and fight for those changes that get those um, political people in office, which is (laughs) Dr. Hill. you (laughs) just opened the door to (laughs) the woman. So,
0: Dr. Hill, we've watched you for decades now. I've seen you in the pulpit at the church speaking (laughs) truth to the community. When you started working for Mayor Dinkins all those years ago, can you imagine the path that would have led you to all the work you've done and even the
3: honors that you're receiving. You know, in some in some ways, when I think about Mayor Dinkins and before marriage equality and when HIV and AIDS was still very much closeted, yeah. um, uh, it's amazing how much ground we have taken uh, and ch- achieved. Uh, at the same time, when I hear things out of the tweets yeah. uh, out of the White House, I'm very disturbed, and it's still— a time when we can't afford to stay home. We really do need to let our voices be heard, to celebrate uh, each other, and to remind ourselves that um, there's still much work to do.
0: So speaking of much work to do, Ty, I know that you've been working on uh, visibility and really inclusion in the community, and this is a time to sort of regalvanize the efforts and also to just celebrate folks who we love
4: exactly, I mean we have to we have to uplift the people that we are here, you know yesterday being fifty years with um, dr martin luther king's assassination, mm-hmm. and we didn't honor him when he was here, and so he unfortunately left this earth maybe a little bit, you know, un- feeling unappreciated, we have to appreciate our sheroes and our heroes and our champions now while they're here and, and, and also put them in the forefront so that the youth know how to galvanize and how to organize mm-hmm. properly, you know what I mean, and meet their, their their, champions and their elders and the people who set forth for the path for them.
0: So speaking of that path, we only have a little bit more time, and I know we are going out on the 12th to honor, but what should we be doing up until and after that? Tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing with the governor now and how we can help to amplify that voice. Well, you know,
3: HIV and AIDS continues to be a challenge, particularly in communities of color, particularly among women, and Governor Cuomo has a plan to in the AIDS epidemic, essentially reduce new infections. And each one of us can be a part of it. We still need to have those important conversations with our partner or partners. Um, We still need to actively engage in safer sex. Uh, For those of us who may be positive, we need to. Get into treatment and to stay into treatment, and we also need to uh, really be cognizant that HIV/AIDS stigma is still very much a challenge in communities of color right. uh, and in the larger society. Well, the change begins with us, right? The change, yeah, the change begins, begins with, with us. us.
0: And in June, June, it's going to be
4: crazy. <laughs> yes, and it's, it's going to be our—I was explaining—it's our fourth season, and it's—it's it's crazy. You know, we've. We, we view plays and and um shorts and documentaries and things from all over the world like even from the olympics in, in, in russia and in moscow we've had um we had film, um, documentaries from that and you from Ireland. You have to Iran. name it so that
0: people can Google again. I know what you're talking about. Tell
4: the people. My True men. Colors Festival Thank is you. in June. I am so sorry. I feel like this is my show. And you already know that it's my True Colors Festival. Yes, <laughs> in June. We'll be watching. In June. Okay. And so, you know, we have, you know, everything from stage plays to short documentaries to art exhibits to one-man shows. Okay. And, you know, it's celebrating all of the arts in whole. It's the only in festival are
3: so important. Exactly. They really are. They are about. They are what liberates us. That is what frees us. That is what um, is a reflection of who we are. And there's not enough of it. So, mm-hmm.
4: and it also is what brings us together. That's what
0: brings us together. Absolutely. Well, speaking of coming together, I know we should all be together on April the twelfth, yes. a week from today. Tell folks how they can come out.
4: Okay, so we're going to be at Dumbo Loft on April 12th, cocktail hours at 6 p.m. and dinner at 7. You guys can go to the website, My True Colors Festival, to purchase tickets. Yes. We still have tickets left. We still have single tickets. We still have table tickets, and we still have... Sponsor tickets. <laughs> tickets, 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 ticket, tickets for Machu Colors Festival.
0: Yeah. It's gonna be a phenomenal night. It'll be worth it just to show out and see yes. uh, uh, what, what this one is gonna be wearing. Yes. We're yes. all yes. going yes. okay. turn it out. So yes. we'll see you at the uh, the Excel Awards reception on the twelfth of April. Yes. Thanks for being here. Looking we forward appreciate to it. It. Yes. Yeah. yeah,
4: we are. Thank right. you.
0: Thanks. Mayor Bill de Blasio has promised to create 100,000 jobs over the next decade and calls his program New York Works. In late March, it launched a new partnership between the city's Department of Small Business Services and private companies. The initiative is called Apprentice NYC, and it will provide 450 apprenticeships with full-time paid training and afterward an actual full-time job. Even the apprentice, hosted by old what's-his-name, couldn't guarantee that. Here to tell us how it all works, who these local businesses are, and what kinds of applicants Apprentice NYC is looking for is SBS Commissioner Greg Bishop. Welcome back, sir.
5: Well, thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, happy to have you at the table, especially with some jobs. Oh,
5: yes. And that's what we're all about, is creating jobs. And uh, we're excited about the Apprentice NYC program.
0: Okay, so the apprentice program is going to connect people with apprenticeships that are eventually going to lead to great full-time, well-paid jobs. Right:
5: And, and the model is it's not unique in terms of in, in Europe, for example. Mm. Um, it's unique here because we're going back to the basics, basically. And what we're doing is, uh, we're finding industries that desperately need talent. Uh, So we're starting in the 450s over different uh, sectors. We're starting with industrial manufacturing. Um, And what we're really looking at is those sectors are looking for individuals who want to actually start a career in industrial manufacturing. It's totally different from what it was when your grandfather or your dad was uh, working in that industry. Uh, We're talking about now computerized uh, machine um, language, et cetera. Uh, so we want to make sure that the new workforce actually has the skill set that's necessary uh, to work in that sector.
0: So we can just erase all those notions of the old punch in and sit down for the next eight hours. Yeah, it's, it's not this. Like,
5: You know, I went to Brooklyn Tech, and we worked in lathes, and it's not like that anymore. You literally, you're sitting in front of a, a computer. Right. Uh, you're learning, um, you know, machine shop languages, computer mm-hmm. languages, um, you know, and there's specific skill sets. And the sector is aging out. Uh, You have individuals who should be retired, but they're not retired. Um, And what we're trying to do is make that marriage between an industry that has quality jobs um, and uh, young people and anyone that wants to actually work in that sector uh, that really wants to have a meaningful career.
0: So you're playing matchmaker here, and I know there's an information session coming up. So who should come out and what should they be prepared to do when they do right. show
5: up? So so we st- we're starting with industrial manufacturing. Uh, it's April 16th. If anyone wants any more information, they can uh, call 311 or go on our website, nyc.gov slash um, we have individuals, we're going to explain what the process is like. Gotcha. And it's almost, it is almost is almost like the apprentice, right? It, we're going to tell you what the industry is like. Um, you know, a lot of businesses, a lot of manufacturing businesses, they're just looking for individuals who are eager, right. uh, individuals that want to learn and individuals that will show up on time. You know, there's a lot of things in terms of manufacturing that, um, that the sector needs, right. uh, but you don't have to worry about not knowing uh, because that's why we're doing the on-the-job training. Uh, because every every company has different uh, machines, different uh, ways of doing business. Uh, so the, we're going to whittle that down uh, mm-hmm. from uh, the folks who show up to 15 slots. That's sure. what you're competing for. Okay. Uh, so there's this, the informational session. Uh, then we're going to do uh, a, a test in terms of your capabilities. Uh, For those who advance, uh, there's going to be two rounds of interviews. Uh, For those who don't advance, we'll introduce them to a Workforce One set of services to connect them to other jobs. Uh, But certainly we want people who are excited about starting a career in a sector that will actually lead to decent wages.
0: So in our last minute, what's on this? Uh, what's the benefit to the business community? You said some of these are dying industries, or at least the They're, workforce is aging out.
5: So the workforce is aging out, but what the benefits are is actually getting a new crop of dedicated workers. I mean, there's companies here in Brooklyn who are making landing gears for uh, the 777 for Boeing. Awesome. So they now have a new set of workforce uh, that they can actually do more. Uh, in that in that industry. So they're, they're pretty excited about this program, and we're pretty excited about working with
0: people. And they're doing it right here in New York City.
5: Right here in New York City.
0: So give us the information one more time. So
5: you can call 311 and ask for Apprentice NYC or go to nyc.gov SBS.
0: All right, SBS Commissioner Greg Bishop, we thank you for being well, here. Well, thank
5: you for having me. We'll see
0: you at the info session.
5: I'll see you there. All right.
0: Well, we hope you watch or listen to every episode of 112BK, but if you do, next week's show might sound a little familiar. We'll be re-airing some recent episodes while we catch our breath a little bit and use the week to work ahead so that when we come back on Monday, April 16th, we'll be even better. That's the plan anyway. So have a great week, and we'll see you on the 16th.
3: 112BK is hosted by me, Ashley C. Ford, and is written and produced by Ross Tuttle. It's also produced by Fred Brown, Shereen Bargy, Emily Begosian, Naeem Van, Kritzi Roberts, Charmaine Lamb, and is edited by Clinton Filson Jr. and Kyrell Palmer. Our show is recorded by Eric Hogesack, Antonio Rosario, Leslie Hayes, and Steve DeSev. And our theme music was composed and produced by Brad Parker. Our executive producers are Aziz' Isham, Jonathan Leaf, and Sasha Mathias.